Brothers and sisters, in, uh, in connection with our Sunday school this morning, uh, Brother Khan has asked us if he could read John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. The Gospel according to John, chapter 19, starting at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Well, brothers and sisters, good morning again. Uh, We have with us this morning Brother Khan Mitsos, and he's going to be uh, delivering the Sunday School this morning. Uh, That Sunday School is titled, Woman, Behold Thy Son, in the series, Mary, the Handmaid of the Lord. Brother Khan. Thank you, Brother Kevin, and good morning, our dearly loved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ and our dear Sunday School scholars, young people. Well, we come to, um, as you could appreciate, uh, a very difficult time in the story of Mary's life of the five sword thrusts or the piercings of the sword, and there were five because they were measured by grace. This obviously was the most painful for Mary. It is important for us to maybe just set a little bit of background to the uh, fifth piercing of the sword. And we know, of course, that the Lord Jesus Christ entered the city of Jerusalem on the 10th of Abib as the nation of Israel were preparing uh, for the Passover and they selected the lamb as was commanded. And for four days it was being inspected to make sure that it was suitable for offering and it had to be without blemish to be acceptable. 
But of course, as we know, the nation of Israel was in total blindness that as they were preparing the Passover lambs, that Yahweh was preparing the Passover lamb that would succeed all of those lambs that were offered under the uh, law of Moses, under the old covenant, and replace them with the new covenant. And there were few that understood the mission and purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Simeon's words to Mary, where he uh, said, Behold, uh, Yahweh has set forth the salvation which mine eyes have seen, which he has prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And he reversed the words of Isaiah because Isaiah um, had said that uh, the deliverer would come and he would come to his people. But sadly, as we know, the Gentiles were first mentioned by uh, the the prophet. uh, And so Simeon said he would first be a light to lighten the Gentiles and then he would be the glory of Yahweh's people Israel. And that is because... Yahweh knew that the nation of Israel, his own people, would reject Messiah and that the Gentiles largely would receive the gospel message while blindness in part had happened to Israel. But there would come a time when all Israel shall be saved because the deliverer would come from Zion and turn ungodliness from Jacob. And this is what's happening in the story because, as we said, the story of Joseph And the way in which Joseph was used providentially by Yahweh to convert the family of Jacob, who represented the natural seed of Israel, was actually being played out in the life of Jesus and his own nuclear family. And remember James, the older of the siblings, his name is Jacob. James is his Greek name, his Hebrew name was Jacob. And he was in the same place as the unbelieving sons of Jacob, And it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater than Joseph, that was going to work a great conversion in the family. But then, of course, as we know, this has a national application to the nation of Israel themselves, who we know one day will experience the same conversion when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So the Lord Jesus Christ came into the city of Jerusalem on the 10th day of Abib, riding on the ass and the colt, the foal of an ass. And in that is a beautiful story also, because as we know, Zechariah 9 verse 9 said that, Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, and he's lowly, riding upon an ass, and the colt, the foal of an ass. And you know, Zechariah prophesied that the Lord would ride both animals, But in his first advent, he didn't ride both animals. The ass represented the nation of Israel. The colt represented the Gentiles. And he rode upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Even though it was unbroken and never been brought into service, it submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that ass, representing the nation of Israel, refused to be ridden. And you know, in the ordinance of the Passover in Exodus, when Yahweh spoke to the nation of Israel about the ordinance of the Passover, he said, every firstborn son you'll redeem. 
And every firstborn ass you will redeem. That's in the same verse in Exodus chapter 12. With a lamb. And if you don't redeem your firstborn ass, you're going to break its neck. And isn't it amazing, as the Lord rode into the city of Jerusalem, and this ass, a symbol of the nation, and sadly, the Lord's own family was encompassed in this nation who had not recognized that God now was sending the Passover lamb whose primary role was to redeem. And he came as the redeemer. And the ass refused his redemptive work. And as he came over the brow of the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem came into view and all of the crowds before him and behind him were crying, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The Lord started crying. And he wept over the city. If you'd only known the things that belong to your peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. And he prophesied. As he viewed that city, brothers and sisters, of the breaking of the neck of that ass in the judgments of AD 70 which would before that city and they were the emotions of the Lord because his family was caught up in that blindness and he was coming to save that people and yet it was an unbroken cult a representative of the Gentiles who was prepared to accept his governorship as he came into the city And what happened during those four days of inspection? Well, all of the religious leaders of the Jews interrogated him and questioned him to see if they could find a justification to murder him. And they couldn't. They couldn't. They tried, but they couldn't. And blindly... They couldn't come to the conclusion that Pilate reached. But it was a Gentile who was prepared to publicly say, I find no fault in this man. A Gentile. He had no interest in the trial at all. He was actually duped into participating in this trial. Just like Darius was when he was uh, implicated in a plot to have Daniel thrown to the lions. Soon as he found out that he'd been duped and that Daniel was implicated, he sought to release Daniel, but he couldn't. And Pilate found himself in the same place. But he pronounced the Lord innocent. And during those four days, brothers and sisters, the Lord was the champion of the Passover crowds that thronged the city of Jerusalem because he silenced his critics he expounded the scriptures so beautifully and everyone came to the temple to hear him for those four days because whilst he was being challenged he used that opportunity to expound the scriptures and he had the Passover crowds eating out of his hands but his enemies his crafty enemies worked secretly in the dark hours of the night 
to have him arrested, as we know, and brought before the crowds as a criminal. And you know, brothers and sisters, that could never have happened. That turn of events would have been unexpected by everybody who came to that Passover because for four days it was very evident that there was only one man who was worth listening to. There was only one authority on the scriptures and that was this Jesus of Nazareth. And all of the religious leaders, and they all had a go, they all tried and were exposed as totally ignorant. If the Lord wanted to, brothers and sisters, he could have grasped the throne because he had all of the population on his side. What a temptation that would have been. At the height of his popularity, he's in enemy territory, but he's defeated his enemies. They've tried everything and they've failed and he's exposed them as kindergarten level understanding of the scriptures. And in the end, of course, he silenced them with a question. There's a question about Psalm 110. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said, oh, he's the son of David. Okay. How could David call him his Lord? How could a son of David be also the Lord of David? And that's, of course, Psalm 110 that he quoted from. And they knew. They knew that there was only one answer to that question. And that was, a son, in the Jewish understanding, could never be greater than his father. A son was always inferior in status. But the psalm said, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And Jesus' question was, how is it possible for David's son to also be David's Lord? And the only possible explanation was that he was greater than David. Because Messiah was the son of God. But they couldn't say. Because they weren't honest men. They were corrupt, power-hungry, evil men who were the custodians of Yahweh's people. And when Jesus raised Lazarus, the chief priests held a council. It's recorded in John chapter 11. Here's a man raised from the dead and the chief priests gather together a council and say, what are we going to do? But this man doeth many miracles. I mean, I mean, do you realize that there are deaf people that can now hear? Do you realize that there are blind people that can actually see? Do you realize that there are lame people that are walking around the streets of Jerusalem? Do you realize now that there's a dead man alive? Don't you see the problem we've got? If we leave him alone and let him go, all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Did they care? 
Did they care for the people? The people were sources of income. And there was one man who was the true shepherd who was going to give his life for the sheep. And he surrendered himself voluntarily to them. Because if he didn't, they would never have had a chance to crucify him. He surrendered. No man taketh my life from me, he said. I lay it down of myself. And he voluntarily gave himself over to those men. Because he loved his father more than he hated the evil in man. And he loved us, brothers and sisters. Because Isaiah said that when he made his soul an offering for sin, he would see his seed and he would know that he would prosper their days and he would lengthen their days. And if you just come back to Isaiah 53, you can see what the motivation was for our Lord Jesus Christ. As he laid down his life, In incredible circumstances. In verse 11 of Isaiah 53, we read these words. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He will see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He saw great satisfaction, brothers and sisters, in the benefits that would come from his travail. And he saw that in people. He saw that in people who had an appreciation that he was laying down his life for them. And in his very moments of agony on the cross, one of those people was Mary, his mother. I'm just going to skip the story of the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified for now because we could uh, talk in great length, obviously, about that. And I did ask you to bear with me so that we weren't too distracted from uh, the characters that feature prominently in the story of Mary. And obviously, of them, the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest. But I'm assuming that you know the story of the crucifixion and so we're going to come now to the foot of the cross where uh, we have Mary as John records in verse 25 of John 19 and John says now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and the disciples uh, sorry and his mother's sister and we said that that is Salome the mother of James and John Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. Now it's, it's important for us to appreciate that this is an exception in the record of women in the life of or the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly because in every list of the group of women that are mentioned, Mary Magdalene heads the list. Always she's mentioned first, except for one occasion, and that is where the Lord's mother is the subject and the focus of the story. And so Mary Magdalene 
is mentioned last in this list and Jesus' mother Mary is mentioned first. I don't have to tell you what it would have been like for Mary to stand at the foot of the cross. I'm sure you have as much imagination as I have to know that this would have been the most horrific and torturous experience a mother could ever undergo. Because crucifixion was a cruel and barbaric execution. It was a torture, it was a slow death, and it was uh, apart from the pain. Hebrews says that our Lord Jesus Christ despised the shame and endured the cross. Because the victims of crucifixion were naked upon the cross. It was part of the humiliation. And our Lord would have been acutely sensitive to the shame of the cross. And the word despise doesn't mean uh, despise like, you know, you don't think anything of it. The word despise means to steal your mind against something and to put it to one side. And it would have been very difficult for the Lord Jesus Christ to endure the shame, apart from the humiliation and the pain and the mockery and the rejection. These men thought that they had their way and were gloating over their victory. But our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, his mind was on his mission, his father's business, which he said at the age of 12 at the Passover in the city of Jerusalem. He had to be about his father's business. His mind was on fulfilling everything that his father had required of him. And whilst he appeared to Mary to be a man that had lost the battle, that had succumbed to his enemies, who had overpowered him, she would later come to know, brothers and sisters and young people, that this was the greatest victory of all time. And he was the greatest hero that ever walked this earth. A man that conquered the evil that no other man had ever conquered. The greatest enemy of all. Sin. People had failed miserably in their battle against this enemy. And our Lord Jesus Christ not only endured this cross and despised the shame... He provided for his father a perfect offering that was without fault in thought and deed because that was the requirement of his father. And the Lord had made it very clear, no good just to have outward works of obedience and your heart's not right. If you think in your heart, I hate my brother, you're a murderer. If you look upon a woman and lust after her, you're an adulterer. You think of what it would have been like, brothers and sisters, for the Lord to have this battle going on in his mind. When he had the ability and the power of God to call 12 legions of angels or to use his power to just extricate himself from the cross and stand there before those men, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he could have. But he loved his father too much. And he was not going to stop short of giving his father perfect obedience. He have never had one evil thought against his 
enemies. In fact, when they nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a man, brothers and sisters. A man that ruled his spirit and was motivated by love and reverence and obedience of his father. And here's Mary looking at this sight, coming to grips with what she is seeing, not fully understanding yet. But she will come to understand because she was there to witness this. How the circumstances that brought her here, we don't know. She was turned away from her son by James and the Lord's half-brothers and sisters who thought him to be out of his mind and wished him dead and agreed with his enemies that he was possessed by Beelzebub. But Mary was here. By the providence of God, she is brought at the foot of the cross because at the foot of the cross, brothers and sisters, her view of her son would totally change. Now we read in verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, who we know is John, he saith to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Those of us who were here yesterday when we considered the words of John chapter 2, where the Lord said to Mary, Woman, what between you and me? Upon what basis are we related? There is no basis until mine hour is come. And this was the hour. This is the sequel to John chapter 2 and the wedding at Cana. Woman, behold thy son. Now, she hadn't been a spiritual mother to him at this point. Salome had been, and he pointed to Salome in Matthew chapter 12. We know the story when his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he pointed to his disciples. They that do the will of my father. The same is my brother and sister and mother. She was woman at this stage. But we also saw the way in which that title was so significant about the formation of woman because this was the place where woman was going to be formed and she was going to be taken out of Ish and brought to the man. This is Genesis chapter 2 being fulfilled at the foot of the cross before the deep sleep would come upon our Lord Jesus Christ and the woman would be formed. Here's a parable that's happening here. Woman, behold thy son. He was everything that God had promised her son to be. He never fell short of his duty and responsibility. I have been thy son. A true son. I know you might not appreciate that now. But I have been the son that God said you would bear. And I have fulfilled everything that God expects of me because he's my father. But you, to this point, haven't been a mother to me. And then he turns to John in verse 27. And here, brothers and sisters and young people, we could say is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. 
before he died, he said to John, Behold thy mother. Sorry, I'm out of uh, sequence with the slides and I'm sure that um, those of us who saw the five sword thrusts on the slide yesterday would have already picked up that that expression, woman, behold thy son, was the last and most painful sword thrusts. And he said to John, behold thy mother. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that would have been the most encouraging thing that he could have said to Mary you haven't been a mother to me but looking at John he said to John John your mother treat her as your mother John she was as we know in the flesh John's auntie but I want you John to take care of Mary and treat her as a mother now John was a disciple He was one of those that Jesus pointed to and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. And the Lord now inducts Mary into the status of a spiritual mother in the ecclesia. What an amazing, what an amazing thing, brothers and sisters, in all of the Lord's agony. And he could have focused on himself and we would have excused him if he just needed for those precious moments to focus on what his father required him to do. Brothers and sisters and young people, he was ever selfless. And he thought of others ahead of himself. And he wanted his mother to be left in good hands. And what better hands to leave her with than the hands of a beloved disciple, a spiritual-minded disciple, just like Mary, thoughtful, spiritually minded and a man who he knew would be the best person to help Mary reach the fullness of that conversion which John did because we read there in verse 27 from that hour that was the hour that he spoke about in John chapter 2 there is no basis upon which we are related until mine hour is come. And this was the hour, brothers and sisters. From that hour, John took her unto his own. You see, the word home is in italics and it can be omitted. John took her unto himself. He accepted her as his own mother. And we know that John didn't take her home at that point. Because John stayed there at the foot of the cross with Mary to witness the events that happened from there onwards. And what happened? Verse uh, verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And I haven't got time obviously to explain the beautiful significance of that brothers and sisters and the reference that that has to the offering of the red heifer by which the cleansing was offered that removed the taint of death. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished 
What was finished? His father's business. And what was his father's business? To save his people from their sins. And Mary was in that place. She was in the place in John chapter 2, Cana of Galilee. She was in the need of redemption in the land of darkness. And the work was accomplished. His father's business was finished. And then it says, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. You know, brothers and sisters, he could have, because he was given the right to, breathed his last breath at any time. He said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. This commandment I've received of my father. He died before the other crucified victims died. He died because he gave up the spirit. What a temptation. How long would you wait until you breathed your last breath? Well, he didn't give up until it was finished. We give up so easily. We give up because we're disheartened, because people falsely accuse us, because it gets hard, because we're tired. And for all of those reasons, he did not give up until there was nothing more that he could do. And everything that his father had commissioned him was finished. And then we read in verse 31 that we had the, uh, the premature death of the other two victims because the Passover Sabbath was approaching. And sadly, we know one of our brethren that we're going to see in the kingdom died by having his legs smashed so that he could die an accelerated death and be buried before 6 p.m. But it isn't interesting how John records it in verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. Isn't that beautiful? Because only one of the thieves were crucified with him. And that's the language which Paul picks up in Romans chapter 6, as we know. And then in verse 33, John and Mary behold, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already and break not his legs, we read, but one of the soldiers pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. And John said, he that saw it bear record and this record is true. And he knoweth that he said true that ye might believe. And we know the significance, and we've spoken about that, how that the side of the Lord being opened was really the operation of Genesis chapter 2, when Yahweh Elohim put Adam in a deep sleep and opened up his side and took out a rib, and from that rib formed a woman and closed up the flesh instead thereof when she was formed and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Mary is being formed here, brothers and sisters. She is being formed to be a counterpart and to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ as his bride. And we read in verse 36, for all these things that were done, were done to fulfill a scripture a bone of him shall not be broken. And you know that that comes from 
the ordinance of the Passover. And you can imagine John saying to Mary, well, the reason why they didn't break his bones, Mary, is because, you know, the Passover lamb could not have any bones broken. He is Yahweh's Passover lamb. And then another scripture in verse 37, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. And that comes from Zechariah chapter 12. I'd like you to come back to Zechariah. And this prophecy was actually fulfilled in the life of Mary before it will be fulfilled, nationally speaking, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> well, that was dumb, wasn't it? I've got a, I've got a microphone here. <laughs> Can you, Brother Tom, can you cut that out of the audio? (laughs) Sorry, at least I spared you the visual. (laughs) But I'm sorry about the sound effects. Okay, Zechariah chapter 12. And here's what's happening for Mary, brothers and sisters, at the foot of the cross. Verse... Uh, verse 10 I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications what number was the the piercing of the sword that we've just considered the fifth the spirit of grace five is the number of grace and of supplications and they shall look upon me, says Yahweh, upon me, says Yahweh, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, his son, Jesus Christ, as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And there's... There's a scripture, brothers and sisters, that John records in John 19 that had a primary application to Mary and her conversion at the foot of the cross. We know the national application of that, and Zechariah speaks of the circumstances by which that will happen, because the Jews in the land are going to fulfill this also. Because Mary is a type of the national mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish nation. And we probably have a few minutes. You know, you know what's going to happen. And we're going to see this. When Russia comes down, we know two-thirds of the nation of Israel are going to be decimated in that battle. And one-third are going to be held as prisoners of war. And Russia and Europe, the Confederacy as we know, are going to be victorious. And they're going to establish their palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. And they will think that they have achieved their aim. But then a group is going to come and approach the forces that are there holding the prisoners of war captive, an unidentified force. And the soldiers and the generals of the army that are holding the prisoners of war in a war camp are going to see this approaching army. And they're going to be concerned that it doesn't appear that they are armed, but they're walking purposefully towards the Russian Confederacy. And maybe 
And I'm being fictitious in describing this story. But you know the basis of it comes out of Zechariah and Ezekiel. And you know what's going to happen. They're going to just be marching forward under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ towards this confederacy. And all of a sudden the confederacy will experience some kind of suspicion that there's something strange going on. And you can imagine maybe the generals alerting the soldiers to all get out there and ready to fire. And a call goes out to the unknown visitors that are approaching. Stop there or we'll fire. And they keep walking and keep advancing because they're going to release those prisoners of war. And Christ and we hope to be part of that group that are going to accompany him and they're going to keep marching until whoever gives the order says, one more step and we'll fire. And before they have a chance, a cataclysmic explosion is going to blast the army of that confederacy into smithereens. And the Jewish prisoners of war are going to watch this in absolute awe and amazement. And when the dust settles and their captors are destroyed and they see this man that leads this group of people approaching them, you can imagine one by one they're going to say, this has to be the Messiah. He's finally come. We've been waiting for him for all of this time. He's here and he saved us. And you can imagine parents lifting up their children to, to show them this is Messiah. Remember we've been talking to you about Messiah? Well, he's come. Look, it has to be him. Look at what he's done. And you can imagine as they all start singing and shouting and celebrating and maybe quoting some of the Psalms. Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the Lord's going to raise his arms up in a gesture of acceptance. And one's going to say, what are those holes in your hands? And he's going to say, they are the holes with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I'm the Jesus of Nazareth that your forefathers crucified. I was your Messiah. I am your Messiah. And Zechariah says, that's the day when Yahweh is going to pour out upon the house of David the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they will mourn, as Zechariah says, like they've never mourned in their history. And they're going to be converted. This is the story of Joseph making himself known to his brothers. I'm Joseph. Whom you sold. And God sent me before you to preserve life and a great deliverance. This is the story, brothers and sisters. It happened in the Lord's family, as we'll see in our exhortation this morning, and it's going to happen nationally. It happened at the foot of the cross, where Mary was converted. Matthew 27, our final reference.
Verse 50 of Matthew 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit. So if you want to parallel that with John 19, verse 31, when Jesus said, it is finished, he cried that statement of victory and accomplishment with a loud voice. It is finished! With his last breath and gave up the spirit. And an earthquake, brothers and sisters, shook the whole city of Jerusalem and the temple veil was rent because Yahweh now had open access into the holiest for his son, vindicating his son and accepting his sacrifice. And the graves, verse 52, were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And that, of course, happened after his resurrection, as we know, which was an amazing testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 54, when the centurion and they that were with him. Let's not forget, he wasn't the only one. The centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things which were done. They feared greatly, saying... And you can imagine Mary and John hearing these words. Truly, this was the Son of God. 